uh, turn to your notes if you have them. We're going to be looking at anxiety and fear. At least that's what I have. I hope that's what you have. Counseling exam question six. We all lined up? Okay, very good. Well, let me pray for us, and we will get started. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can again gather and consider who you are in your word that you have so graciously given to us. And Father, we pray that by your spirit, we would be granted a further measure of understanding as well as ability to minister the scriptures to others. And so, Father, we pray that you would use this hour for our own lives and also to the benefit of others. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at counseling exam question number six, dealing with anxiety and fear. And so if you've got a handout there, um, we've got quite a bit to cover. And really the, the main thing with this question especially is that there's multiple components to this question. And so you want to make sure you've read it thoroughly and you've intentionally answered every part of it. Otherwise, while your answers may be good and right, they may not be complete and thorough, and so you may get a rewrite. And so make sure you, you do catch every part of it. And I put that in your outline there for you, so hopefully that will be helpful. So let's go ahead and read that then. Provide a biblical definition of anxiety and fear. Describe manifestations of anxiety and worry in both the inner and outer man. Explain the biblical factors that drive anxiety and fear. Detail several biblical strategies to respond to anxiety and fear. And so a lot there. We've got one hour, so don't be anxious. Here we go. We will get through. Maybe a minute or two over, but we'll get through. So first, start with the definition. Biblical definition of anxiety. And so anxiety means to be troubled with cares. Just a one sentence, simple definition of what it means to be troubled with cares. Uh, the Greek word for anxiety, meramnao, in the scriptures is translated in various different ways. And so as you're reading different texts, it may have a different rendering depending on the context of that text. Uh, it can be translated as care, concern, and most often we see that played out as worry, the word worry there. Uh, and like anger, anxiety has the possibility of being righteous. And yet most often it is tainted by sin or our anxiety worry can be sinful altogether. And so in scriptures, uh, we can find the word for anxiety used in a positive sense. So I want to go there first and take a look at that. Anxiety used in a positive sense is usually labeled as godly concern. And so concerning building up the church, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12:25, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That word care is the same word for worry, anxiety translated elsewhere. And another example would be Philippians 2, 20 and 21, where there Paul writes, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, same word, concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is grateful for Timothy because Timothy is genuinely concerned, merimnao, and he's genuinely concerned about serving others with the gospel. So in that sense, anxiety, concern is a very good thing. And so bring this home today, a parent who has a wayward child, should there be a godly concern for that wayward child? Yeah, and so that sense, anxiousness or anxiety 
kept in the proper context, is a good, healthy thing, right? That parent should have a, a concern for that child's soul, should seek to minister the truth to them in love, should be praying for them, and should be exercising a godly concern towards them. That said, concern or anxiety, though maybe even initially pure in a sense and biblical, can quickly turn into a sinful concern or anxiety. Okay, and so just to help illustrate this, we have godly concern and then we can have an ungodly concern or a godly concern that turns into an ungodly concern. And ultimately, this results from failing to love or to trust God. And so when we're sinfully anxious, uh, ultimately, we fail to look to God for who he is, to trust him for who he is and to live Accordingly, And so there's a diagram here. I think this is in your handouts. It kind of helps explain this Uh, concern becomes a sinful anxiety or worry when at the heart level on the left side here, God is simply not an equation. Right. We get anxious. We worry. Um, Practically, we're a, a functional atheist. We live as if God doesn't exist or we want to be God in the midst of the situation. And so we get anxious. We seek to be in control ourselves. Also, concern, godly concern can become worry when God is simply not in the focus. God is not the one that we turn to in the midst of the anxieties and the things that come into our lives. And third, concern can become worry when God is not being trusted. And so at the heart of worry is ultimately a heart that is not trusting in God. Okay, and that kind of summarizes the heart of worry, sinful anxiety, is a heart that is not trusting in God, or at least not to the degree that it should. And so, functionally then, concern becomes worry uh, when thoughts are focused on changing the future. Right? I want to be in control, and we live as if it literally all depends upon us. And therefore, we're going to be anxious because do we have the wisdom and the power to always get what we want? And so, therefore, anxiety creeps in. Concern becomes worry when thoughts are unproductive and unfruitful. And so time is often wasted in worry. Right? We worry about what if, what might happen, and ultimately there is no gain in that. It also becomes... Sinful anxiety, when it controls us, we're preoccupied with it, and therefore, next, responsibilities are neglected, and we can even get to the point where we lose hope or stop functioning. Somebody becomes so anxious or worked up, uh, perhaps there's a, a panic attack, and therefore, they're not able to function fully, or whatever else it may be. And so, anxiety left unchecked um, can have severe consequences and manifestations in our lives, which we'll get to here in a little bit. And so with this initial understanding of anxiety and worry, let's consider as well then a biblical definition of fear. Because remember, we're supposed to define both anxiety and fear. And so what is fear? Fear is a sense of anxious dread or reverence in response to things real or imagined. And so as with anxiety or concerns, there are good and bad fears. So what are some fears that are right? The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1, 7. Okay? So obviously that's a good fear, and we want to grow in that fear. Right? That's a good, healthy fear. Um, and so what does it mean then to fear the Lord? If the fear of God is a good thing, uh, what does that mean? 
This is something we probably ought to teach our counselees about a little more intentionally, right? A healthy fear of the Lord. So let me let me give you an example of this played out. So if you've read through Pilgrim's Progress, I like to go there a lot. Um, as they're going through the Enchanted Ground in the end of the book, you've got Christian and Hopeful. And they're rehearsing the gospel, the importance of the gospel in their lives. And they're talking about the fear of the Lord. And they, Bunyan does a good job in this dialogue in summarizing for us what the fear of the Lord is. And so the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, is known by its rise. It is caused by saving convictions for sin. And so as we begin to grasp the magnitude of God's holiness and the reality and the depth of our sin, there's a sense of awe and reverence as to this majestic God uh, who has made a way to salvation. And that leads to the second point. A fear of the Lord driveth the soul to lay hold of Christ for salvation. Right? A healthy fear of the Lord causes us to run to Christ and to lay hold of him, to cling to him as our only hope. And then third, as it relates more to our progressive sanctification, it begetteth and continueth in the soul a great reverence of God, his word and ways, keeping it tender and making it afraid to turn from them to the right hand or to the left to anything that may dishonor him. And so a healthy fear of the Lord drives us to the scriptures that we would know God and that we would be able to live rightly uh, before him. So to such fear, Proverbs 22, 4 says this, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord, remember a good fear, the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Right? And so as we rightly acknowledge God for who he is as our heavenly father, um, he delights to bless his children. And sometimes that may be in prosperity in the sense of finances, but certainly it's with um, other things like peace and, and wisdom and the many blessings that he gives to his children. And so that said, if we want to look then at another type of fear, which we need to define fear thoroughly, um, there's also a fear that isn't necessarily bad. The fear of the Lord is always good, but there's a second kind of fear, the fear of danger. The fear of danger. God has built into us a natural fear that is for our good. I got to exercise this about a week ago. We had a group coming over for a Bible study. And about 30 minutes before that, I was sitting in the living room getting some some chairs set up and starting to think through the night who's going to be there and pray for him. And all of a sudden, my wife, Laura, starts panicking from the kitchen. And she says, come quickly. And about the time I'm coming there and there's fear in her voice. I know something's not right, right? Been married for 24 years. You kind of know this is something seriously up. Before I get to the kitchen, I see smoke start to pour out of the kitchen. And by the time I get into the kitchen, there's three smoke detectors going off, and I can hardly see what's going on in the kitchen. It's so smoky. Our dishwasher, of all things, kind of electrical fire, and was spewing smoke everywhere. Now, would a healthy fear just stand there and look at it and say, huh, our house is about to burn down? Or would a healthy fear take action? You know, one one thing to do would be just to get out of the house, but there's still the ability maybe to save the house. And so out of fear of that danger, 
knowing it was probably electrical fire, and the dishwasher was actually running, so there's water going on and smoke's pouring out, which is concerning. It says electrical fire. So I ran to the circuit box, flipped off the, the power breaker, got the, the uh, on the way back, the fire extinguisher that's made for those types of fires, and that fear drove me then to a right response, right? And so fear of danger, we we shouldn't ideally just stand there and say, oh, wow, I'm going to die, or wow, that's really bad, right? It should cause us to react. And so if, if uh, not that we have them around here, but if a lion's there and is hungry and starts to chase you, should you just stand there or maybe should you try to run or at least defend yourself, right? And so that's a healthy fear of danger that we should respond to in a healthy way. Uh, Proverbs yeah, 22.3 says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Okay, and so there can be real dangers that we should have a healthy fear for. Concerning the fear of danger, Stuart Scott, and this is an excellent book, uh, booklet, comes out of his book, The Exemplary Husband, uh, blue cover. Uh, also with a blue cover is an excerpt, one of the chapters, called um, Anger, Anxiety, and Fear. An excellent resource to help you think through this and also uh, a resource for perhaps homework assignment for a counselee. But he says this in his booklet, as long as we do not let our fear or our feelings keep us from doing what is right, and we turn to God in our fear, that fear is not ungodly. The most courageous Christians are those who feel afraid, but place their trust in God and do what he says to do. The question is what we do when we are afraid. And then Proverbs or Psalms 56, 3, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Okay, so whether it's anxiety, sinful anxiety or worry, or whether it's, it's fear, what's our calling as believers? It's to look to him and to put our trust in him and trust him for what's needed to honor him in whatever that situation may be. All right, so those are, are two good, healthy fears. A fear of the Lord and a natural fear can be good. But let's consider, third, uh, fears that are sinful, and those are fears that are focused on self, ultimately trusting in self rather than trusting in God. Considering this type of fear, uh, Keith Christensen, who I believe will be back with you this weekend, uh, wrote this or said this, said, sinful fears... Our sinful fear leads us to disobey God and not love others, often in sins of omission. The summary of all this, sinful fear is when we first fear anything more than God. And second, when we don't trust our good, wise, sovereign God in the midst of fear. Okay, so are you seeing a common theme here? Anxiety and fear our emotions that should remind us of our need to look to God and to trust him. All right. So manifestations in next part of the question, what are some manifestations of anxiety and worry in the inner man? So we're supposed to address the inner man and the outer man. And so what might result in our souls uh, when we're anxious or worried or we're fearful? Can you think of some inner man responses that we might have? Okay, yeah. Yep. So physiologically, your blood pressure can go up. Okay. Yeah, maybe in our thinking. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Yep. So rational thoughts. So uh, one one text in particular that uh, if you're doing your exams, you of course want to support your answers with, with scriptures, right? Because it's biblical counseling. And so those things are right. One passage that would speak to that is Proverbs 12:25. Anxiety in a man's heart, right? Inner man. Anxiety in a man's heart does what? Weighs him down. And so while others may not even be able to pick up on it, that you may be anxious or fearing um, in your heart, you may be weighed down, you may be consumed, concerned with what's going on. Uh, In his book, In the Arena of the Mind, which is uh, ultimately a study on Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, John Vandegrift notes that it is often not work, but worry that makes us weary. And that's so good. Oftentimes it's not work, the work itself that makes us weary, but it's the worry that can exhaust us mentally and physically. And most of us can probably relate to that, right? Maybe we've been so worried or anxious or fearful about something that literally we're just worn out. And so I think that's a good observation. Um, And so other manifestations of anxiety in the inner man is, as we mentioned, being distracted by anxious thoughts distracted by anxious thoughts. And so rather than perhaps taking uh, captive every thought in obedience to Christ, 2 Corinthians um, 10.5, we're prone to dwell on maybe the circumstantial possibilities um, rather than the unchanging promises of God. And to that end, Philip uh, Keller, in his book, Taming Tensions, claims that 80% of our fears never materialize. So think about that for a moment. 80% of the things, and this is a statistic, so give or take, but 80% of the stuff that we tend to worry about might never actually take place. And so that has implications, right? Was that a good use of that time? Um, what could we have been doing with that time instead? Were we trusting the Lord with that time? And so if you've ever found yourself running through the what-if scenarios in your mind, Kevin Carson a couple of years ago put out a really good blog, uh, and I'm going to read a, a part of this here, and then we'll come back to it in a little bit. Uh, this is entitled, What If the Worst Happens? And so the author that he's quoting in this blog wrote this. He says, we all face a staggering array of what-ifs. Some are minor issues, while others have life-altering repercussions. What if my inmost longings are never met and my nightmares come true? If my health spirals downward and I end up in an institution? What if my children rebel and never walk closely with the Lord? What if my suffering continues and I never see the purpose in it? Will God be enough? What if? In the midst of those worries, is God enough? Where is our focus. And so being anxious about what ifs can produce within us agitation. And that can be then spilled over in the context of relationships with others. There can be anguish uh, in the inner man. And then this also, then, if if not given to the Lord, and we don't learn to trust him in the midst of that, those inner anxieties, inner manifestations, tend to then manifest in, next part of the question, outer manifestations. And so some manifestations of anxiety and worry in the outer man. Uh, what are some effects of anxiety and fear upon our bodies? Somebody already mentioned blood pressure. Can't sleep. Yeah, some people just get so worked up mentally that that they just literally lose. Some people even a whole night's worth of sleep. 
Okay. Yeah, some people get anxious and, and gain weight. Maybe they, the way they deal with that is binge eat, right? Or the other side, some people get so anxious they can't eat because their stomach's in knots. Okay, what else? Pain? Okay, in what, what ways? Okay, yep. Yep, can lead to all sorts of different pains. Uh, this is from WebMD, Concerned Anxiety and the Physiological Effects. Um, so they write this. Uh, physiological responses in the body can include, so to anxiety, some physiological responses can include sweating, shortness of breath, trembling, panic attacks, restlessness, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, irritability, muscle tension or aches, sleep disturbances, etc. Okay? And so... If anxiety has, has taken hold, then these can be some of the physiological responses. And sometimes people will come for counseling because they're experiencing these physiological symptoms and they, they want help. They know this is not right, but they just don't know what to do. Okay? And so, again, ultimately, where are we going to get them to? What does it look like to trust God and miss them? Who is God? What were you wanting? What were you not wanting? What's going on on the heart level to help them with these physiological symptoms? Uh, back to In the Arena of the Mind, John Vandegrift writes this. Uh, Dr. Ed Podolsky, I think you have this up here, um, demonstrates a correlation between worry and heart trouble, high blood pressure, some forms of asthma, rheumatism, ulcers, thyroid malfunction, arthritis, migraines, blindness, and most stomach disorders. Okay, and so obviously anxiety, if this especially continues as a pattern, can have some very real ramifications, manifestations in, in the outer man. Mm-hmm. In your, and this is where I, I know I had struggle before, in inner and outer man. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and really just clarifying it, though, but what's, what's your simple terms? Because I know you're laying out the definition here, but mm-hmm. it's sixth grade version. Because okay. I said high blood pressure. And that's really more the outer man. Mm-hmm. I was thinking inner. So you're thinking heart and mind, mm-hmm. specifically inner man? Yeah, so inner man, and this is actually one of your exam questions, so you'll get this answered thoroughly right, right. down the road. And so outer man is going to be your body, right? Your, body. Your, your physical self. Inner man is your soul or spirit, which is the same thing interchangeably used. Okay, oftentimes referred to as the heart, um, the thoughts, um, all of those are inner man functions. Okay. So body versus soul or spirit. Okay? Yep. All right. Good question. All right. So let's look then at some biblical factors. Next part of the question that drive anxiety and fear. Biblical factors that drive anxiety and fear. And so there are occasions where physiological issues can be the cause of anxiety or fear. Okay? And so what are we? We're seeking to be biblical counselors. Uh, How many of you are doctors? Okay. Should you pretend to be a doctor in the biblical counseling room? No. In fact, I would encourage you, if somebody comes in and they're struggling with extreme anxiety or fear, and they haven't had a recent physical, you really ought to, unless it's just really, really clear that this is because of you know, some kind of heart issue and there's a direct correlation. But even then, I would still send them to a doctor to get a complete physical, including blood work. Okay, Because there could be... 
a brain tumor. There could be um, a thyroid issue. There could be some level of something that literally it's a physiological cause that's causing this. And if you're trying to find a heart issue behind this and there's not one, you're not being a very good biblical counselor, right? And so part of being a good biblical counselor is gathering, gathering the data really well to make sure we understand what the root problem is before we seek to help them. And so that, that is very important, especially if things are bizarre and just not making sense. Um, it's time for a really good um, checkup. And, and I would encourage, uh, if you don't have a doctor that your, your church or counseling ministry works with that's got a kind of a biblical understanding of the, the human being, physically, obviously, they've got that, but also spiritually, that we're body and soul, uh, to try to build that kind of relationship. So when you send them somebody... Um, they can go in and say, look, I'm working with so-and-so counseling me from this church. Um, he wants to make sure um, that there's not something physiologically causing my anxiety or whatever else it may be. Okay? Yes? So in that last Yeah, it could be vice versa. So which caused which? Yeah, ultimately we may not know that. But a thyroid issue can cause anxiety because of hormones going out of whack. Or it could be if if somebody's just high strung, they literally wear out their their thyroid gland. And so it could be either or. And by the time they get to you, you you don't really know. And ultimately it, it may not matter. It's just you want to know what's what. Okay? Yeah, good question. All right. And so biblical factors that drive anxiety and fear, uh, probably at the top of that for most people is the fear of man. Uh, what might be some examples of the fear of man? Peer pressure. Mm-hmm. About what other people think about you. Okay. Yep. It's peer pressure, what other people think. Yep. What's my boss going to do? Am I going to lose my job? Gonna... Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen at work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so difficulties at work, what's going to happen? Okay. Yeah, so the fear of man, yeah, can drive them then to uh, bulimia or other things that others would approve of how they look, so to speak. Yeah. Fear of man's a big one in that. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if somebody's more introverted, just a conversation, right, can can be very difficult. And, and how do you help them trust the Lord in that? Uh, that's that's a really good one. Or most of us, when it comes to get in front of groups, um, there tends to be a little bit of fear of man, right? Um, and that can have physiological responses then, right? Uh, and so this this all ties together. So fear of man, what might then um, this look like? What are some examples in the scriptures? Paul gives a really uh, pointed perspective here in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? So what has he just done? He spitted the two against each other. Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, now the, there is a sense where it may be pleasing to God to please others. But what he's talking about here is 
forget God, forget his word, forget his calling. I'm going to try to appease or get the approval of this other person, despite who God is and what he's called me to do. All right. Obviously, that's not good. And Paul's saying, OK, I'm living for God, for his pleasure, not for the ultimate pleasure of somebody else. Right. God is my one audience. And, and Paul wrote, was it Second Corinthians 5, 9? Uh, we make it our ambition to please him. If people are making their ambition to please others, anxiety is going to play into that at some point or the other. So who is the audience that they're living for? Is it somebody else or is it ultimately God? Jesus said this concerning the fear of man, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so it really serves us well to put our, our temporal concerns into the framework of an eternal perspective, right? Sometimes we make the here and now and this person ultimate, where ultimately we need to be pleasing God who is ultimate. And so what are we ultimately living for, the approval of man? Or are we remembering that in Christ we already have God's approval and we don't need the approval of others. He is well pleased with us because he is well pleased with his son. And so ultimately, we already have that. Another factor leading to anxiety uh, frequently is idolatry. Um, any thoughts on how idolatry or the perhaps inordinate pursuit of temporal pleasures could lead to anxiety? What's the connection between idolatry and anxiety that other people would have? Because we, would, we wouldn't have that problem, right? Yeah. So ultimately, if your God or your idol is money, financial security, whatever it is, then that's what you live for, and therefore you're gonna be anxious. Yeah, about that. And what if the stock market crashes then, or you lose your job? Then you're gonna be really anxious. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's good. So to the degree that our eyes are fixed upon that which is temporal will be the degree to that which we are anxious, right? And so what does Jesus call us to do then in Matthew six nineteen through 21? He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but <clears throat> lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. And so how might living for the things of this world lead to anxiety? Uh, David Pallison uh, gives us a really good, succinct answer to that. He says, a worrier is storing treasure in the wrong place. That's, that's a pretty good summary. If what you most value can be taken away or destroyed, then you set yourself up for anxiety. If your treasure is vulnerable, whenever what is precious to you is threatened, you'll be gripped with 
fear. Okay, so here's a good link between anxiety and fear. Where do you store your treasure? In iffy things or certainties? Okay, that kind of hits the nail on the head there. Concerning idolatry, um, the Puritan John Flavel wrote this. He says, The strength of our love for the world is directly proportionate to the strength of our fear. You must mortify your affections to the world and to the inordinate and immoderate love of every enjoyment in the world. Okay. In other words, if we have an inordinate love or attachment to the things of the world, we're going to be anxious about the things of the world. Okay. So our affections need to be chiefly upon Christ and his person, his work and what he has given us that cannot be taken away from us. All right. Next, in addition to the fear of man and idolatry, another factor, and we're looking at multiple factors here that drive anxiety and fear, uh, can be inconsistency in the spiritual disciplines. Right? How might the inconsistency in spiritual disciplines lead to anxiety and fear? Now, we don't have to think about others, right? We can just think about our own lives. What are some ways in which, when we were lax in our spiritual disciplines, that maybe we struggled more with anxiety? What's the connection? Okay, not abiding in Christ. Mm-hmm. And part of abiding in him is, the fruit of that is peace. Opposite of peace is anxiety. Okay, good. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's through the word that our mind continues to be renewed. And if we're not thinking on the word, the promises of the word, who God is in the midst of our circumstances, then our eyes become consumed with our circumstances rather than the God who is over our circumstances, right? And so there's a, certainly a connection between anxiety and a lack of being in the word and the spiritual disciplines. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but a key remedy to anxiety is prayer, right? When we forget who God is or we forget to go to God in the midst of our circumstances, then the natural result of that is we are anxious, Okay, so inconsistency in spiritual discipline is another driving factor. Uh, Another one here, uh, trusting in self rather than in God. Okay, that will make us anxious, at least at some point. It should make us anxious all the time in a a good way, uh, but we should always know that we need to trust the Lord. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, trust in the Lord with most of your heart part of the time. Yeah, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. OK, so a great text to remind us to trust in the Lord in all things. He alone is able to make our paths straight. Sometimes he doesn't do it in the time frame or in the way that we want to do it. And so we tend to want to take things into our own hands, which then leads to anxiety, right? And so we need to trust him in all things according to his word. And so practically speaking, then what are some strategies? What are some strategies then to uh, deal with sinful anxiety and fear? And so ultimately, first one, trust God. Okay, trust the Lord. Why should we trust the Lord? Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. This might be a great uh, couple verses to have constantly memorized. You keep him in what kind of peace? 
perfect peace. And just stop and think about that. Perfect peace. Wow, that sounds really good. Perfect peace. You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. How do we have perfect peace? Focus on your circumstances, your budget, your relationships, ultimately. No, it's keep your eyes focused on him who can keep you in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Okay? What's the opposite of anxiety? Peace. And what kind of peace does God offer here, according to these verses? Perfect peace. And so from Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, what then is our twofold responsibility in knowing this peace? If it's from God, in what ways do we look to Him to know this peace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so keep your, your minds upon him. Okay. And as we keep our minds upon him and who he is, then we are to trust him forever. Trust him in, in all things. Okay. So when we fail to keep our minds fixed upon God, we tend to become anxious. All right. And so we need to look to him for who he is and trust that he is faithful in the midst of those things. And so... Sinful anxiety and fear results from a failure to trust in God's presence, his providence, his protection, his promises, and his provision. So going back to John Flavel, he hits the nail on the head here when he writes this. He says, the sin of unbelief is the real and proper cause of most distracting and afflicting fears. To the extent that our souls are empty of faith, they will be filled with fear. Okay, so again, the key to overcoming anxiety, sinful fear, is look to the Lord and trust him, right? So who is God and what are some of his promises then that should lead us to trust him when tempted to sinful anxiety and fear? So open your Bibles if you would and let's answer that with another key passage. And if you're working with somebody who's struggling with sinful anxiety or worry, uh, this is a text you're probably going to camp out on and maybe have them outline it and, and give you a summary of it and, and the implications of who God is and what God's called you to do in the midst of your worry. Um, but Matthew 6, 25 through 34, uh, some great theology here for us to apply as we consider who God is and then therefore how we should live. So let me just kind of work through this text quickly and we don't have time for a full exposition of this. But at least uh, be reminded of this as we think about this question. So Matthew six twenty five. <clears throat> Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Okay, so how beneficial is worry? Does it add anything good to your life? Or rather, it, it, it can make your life miserable, right? He continues, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of what? Little faith. And so what is God, what is Jesus here doing in this question? Will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? He's helping them see what are they trusting in. Uh, their worry is revealing that they're not trusting in God as as they ought. He continues on, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so in this one passage, six times the word anxious is used and three times the command do not be anxious is used. Okay. Was Jesus aware that his disciples were prone to be anxious? Yeah. They, they had a, a lot going against him, mainly the world, right? And also they had left everything to follow him. And, and there was a sense in which uh, he was using these things as an example to help them not be anxious, but to trust him, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so why the repetition here when we worry? We tend to believe that God is either unaware of our need, he's either unable to meet that need, or he's unwilling to meet that need. And so in our anxiety, we've lost sight of God's power, his ability to do what he knows is right, his, his wisdom his his love for his children in the midst of whatever the struggle may be. And so we lose sight um, of God's awareness and ability and willingness to to help his children. Yeah, in, in thinking through Philippians, and we're going to spend a little bit of time there in Philippians 4, uh, encouraging those at Philippi, Paul wrote in Philippians what 4.19 concerning their needs, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Okay? That's infinite. He doesn't have a limited amount. It's an infinite amount. And he's able, out of that abundance, to supply our every need. And so should we worry about those needs? Or should we look to him for the provision of what he knows we need and for him to provide that in the right time? Yes? I think sometimes what I get confused in my mind is what I think you need and what God needs. Mm-hmm. But we think our need is way bigger than what God considers mm-hmm. to be needs. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we equate our needs to what the world has defined as felt needs. Mm-hmm. Right? And what God knows we need is to look to him more, to delight in him more, to become more like his son. And so he's using all these things to make us more like his son, to know the fullness of joy that's found in him, whereas we're wanting something that's not nearly as good. Right, We're wanting something that might satisfy us temporarily in the moment, but God's accomplishing something far greater. And we're not content with that at all times. And we get anxious, maybe we're not getting what we want, rather than looking to God and trusting him that he's doing what is right and best for us. Yeah, good point. All right, so what is it we tend to get anxious about? Um, Let me go back to Kevin Carson's blog. 
uh, from a few years ago. What if the worst happens? And this is this is so good. He wrote this. I have something far better than a reassurance uh, that my dreaded what ifs won't happen. I have the assurance that even if, even if they do not happen, he will be there in the midst of them. He will carry me. He will comfort me. He will tenderly care for me. God doesn't promise us a trouble-free life, but he does promise that he will be there in the midst of our sorrows. In the Bible, in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not guaranteed deliverance. Just before Nebuchadnezzar delivered them to the fire, they offered some of the most courageous words ever spoken. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, we want you to know that he that we will not serve your gods. Even if the worst happens, God's grace is sufficient. Those three young men faced the fire without fear because they knew that whatever the outcome, it would ultimately be for their good and for God's glory. They did not ask, what if the worst happened? They were satisfied knowing that even if the worst happened, God would take care of them. That's good. And then listen to his conclusion. Replacing what if with even if is one of the most liberating exchanges we can ever make. We trade our irrational fears of an uncertain future for the loving assurance of an unchanging God. We see that even if the worst happens, God will carry us. He will still be good and he will never leave us. That's so good. Why do we get anxious? Because we think about what if. What we should be thinking about is even if those things happen, God is still who he is. He never changes. He always does what is for the ultimate good of his people. He will be glorified and he will use this. So I thought that was that was really helpful for me at least. All right. So in learning to trust God and overcoming anxiety, we should next another strategy identify and repent of sinful fear and anxiety. Okay, I'm not talking about repenting of godly concern because we should probably all have more of that. But when those godly concerns have turned ungodly or anxiety is just sinful altogether, uh, we need to identify those things and repent of it. And so how can we come to grips with those things that we fear, the cause of it? Uh, Stuart Scott in his booklet gives some some practical um, questions to help us identify the root of those. So some examination questions here. Um, recall the last five times you were fearful. Explain the situation that was involved. Did the situation come out or come about due to other sins of yours? Okay, so the degree that it's sinful, think about when you were fearful. Kind of think through what happened. What was I thinking about how this come about? And was this connected perhaps to other sins of mine, like maybe idolatry? Um, what was I wanting? Was I wanting too much? And therefore I got anxious over it. What was going on in the inner man, in the heart, the thoughts? Um, how were you not trusting God? In the midst of that, was I leaning on my own understanding? Or was I trusting God? And, and leaning on him who alone can make my path straight. Uh, what kinds of things typically contribute to your anxiety or fear? What you're going to find in, in your own life and in the lives of those you work with is usually those who struggle with anxiety or, or sinful fear, there's patterns here. 
right? And as you begin to ask questions of what's going on in the heart, what were you wanting, what were you not wanting, you're going to see a pattern. You're going to be able to identify those things. And then you need to help them to the degree that they're sinful to repent of those and to help them learn what it means to trust the Lord in the midst of that. Um, or maybe they're experiencing anxiety because it's, it's a physiological cause. It's not a sin issue. They still need to learn how to trust God in the midst of those symptoms they're experiencing, right? So either way, whether it's because directly because of their own sin or the sin of others or the sin of living in a cursed world, the calling is always the same. Trust God. Look to him who's able to give you perfect peace. All right? Another strategy in overcoming anxiety is to increasingly value what God values. Matthew 6.33, we read this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oftentimes we're anxious because we're not seeking first his kingdom, we're seeking our own. And we're not getting the kingdom that we want the way we want it when we want it. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things, all these things will be added unto you. And so is there something in the world that I love so much that perhaps I fear no longer having it? Or that I want so much, I'm anxious that I'll never get it. Okay, and so we're valuing other things too much. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And so if our fear is caused by the thought of losing something that we love inordinately too much, uh, we need to learn to love God and, and others over these things that may be good. Uh, They become perhaps idolatry in our lives and we're too concerned, too consumed with them rather than using God's gifts uh, to bless others and for his glory rather than our own self-pleasure. Another strategy is replace worrying with righteous activities. Replace worrying with righteous activities. A great passage again if somebody's struggling with anxiety, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And just kind of a quick summary of this first in verse six replace worry with prayer and thankfulness okay replace worry with prayer and thankfulness philippians 4 6 do not be anxious about anything and so in a sinful sense how many things does god tell us we can be anxious about zero all right, this is this is a command. Do not be anxious about anything, but contrast to being anxious in most things. I know in everything, nothing's excluded in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. All right, John Calvin, who was plagued with many trials, health issues and and a whole lot of difficult circumstantial issues, wrote this concerning prayer. He said, Confidence in God, it is true, brings tranquility to our minds, but it is only in the event of our exercising ourselves in prayers. Right? And so prayer is the antidote to anxiety. Right? Do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer. And so when we're anxious, what do we need to do? We need to be reminded we're not God, but we need to look to God. And so we bring our anxieties, our concerns to him. And he says even do so with what? Thanksgiving. Why? 
Yeah, there's always something to be thankful for. Yeah, yeah, very good. And so we remember backing up Philippians 4 4, he is at hand. And who is it that's at hand? It's the God who has saved us, who's written our names in the book of life. It's the one who reigns sovereign over all things and can make all things work together for the good. He began a good work and he's going to bring it to completion. So do not be anxious, but everything prayer because God is with you and he's working in and through this. And so our our calling in is to look to him in that anxiety. All right. Um, Second, replace worry with thinking on things that are true. Rather than dwelling on the what ifs, Philippians 4.8 calls us then, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not on the what ifs, but on what is. On the whatevers that God's called us to fix our mind upon. And ultimately, as we think through that list of whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, Christ is is the fulfillment of all those things. So ultimately, in the midst of that, think on Christ, the Prince of Peace, who's able to bring you peace and who has brought us peace through justification with the God of peace. All right, and so replace our thinking on what is true. Uh, Jay Adams says this concerning Philippians 4.8. He says, since Christ freed us from the dominion of sin, Christians are now capable of doing good. But unless the mind is filled with new truths from Scripture... And until one begins to think God's thoughts after him, the body cannot be reprogrammed for good. All right. And, and perhaps an exercise for those who are struggling with anxiety is to take that list there in Philippians 4.8, uh, those list of whatever's to think on, to define each of those and to think through how can I not only Think about those things and make that my thought pattern, what I dwell on, which ultimately all those fulfilled in Christ. It all points to him. But then also um, that leads us uh, to the next part in verse nine. As we think on those things, we understand those things, replace anxious thoughts with righteous behavior. So right thinking leads to right living. Anxious thinking lives to anxious Living And so Paul says, think on these things. Now go do those things that are right and good. Even if you're still tempted to be anxious, trust God and, and get going. Do what he's called you to do. So note the progression here in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Uh, right praying, biblical praying, leads to right or biblical thinking, which then leads to right or biblical acting. Okay? And so again... What enables all of that, going back to verse 5, it's remembering that who is at hand? God is at hand. Where's Paul as he writes this letter to those of Philippi? He's in prison. Do we seem overcome with sinful anxiety? No, a theme of Philippians is what? Joy, repeatedly. In fact, right before verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Okay? 
And so Paul, in the midst of very difficult situations, is calling them and their temptation to be anxious to look to the Lord, to remember who he is and his purposes. All right. A fourth uh, thing that we need to be about is replacing sinful fear with love of God and others. So Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Right. And so in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and as the Holy Spirit works within us. These are the things that should characterize us. Therefore, first John four eighteen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Why do we fear? Why are we anxious? Ultimately, it's because of the love of self and self being consumed with self. Right. Rather, we need to be have our minds fixed upon who God is, God's love for us, and how we can manifest in that love towards one another and trust him to be able to go and do that. And so what might that specifically look like? Um, I think I put this chart in your handout there. Uh, Where there is sinful fear, um, the focus typically is on self. So let's let's use a real-life illustration. Um, So let's say you have... Who, who maybe tends to struggle with the approval of man the most? What age group? Yeah, I would say probably more in the teen years, right? We all, to some degree or other, probably struggle with it our whole lives. But it's those teen years especially that can be brutal. And so let's say that you've got a young person. Let's say that they're kind of shy or, or introverted um, and they're struggling with anxiety and fear. Uh, why? Because ultimately the focus is on self. What does that perfect love look like that casts out fear? Take the focus off of self and put it on God and others. Okay. Also, where there's sinful fear, which tends to be more self-protecting, the focus ought to be on loving others and be self-giving. Where there's sinful fear, it asks, what will I lose? Whereas love asks, what can I give? Where there's fear tend to avoid the problem, avoid those situations, whereas love would seek to solve the problem or engage. Where there's sinful fear, there's a seclusion of self, perhaps, whereas love sacrifices self. Where there's sinful fear, there's hesitation, but where there's love, there's initiation. Okay, so maybe they would hesitate to be involved in an event or whatever else because what if, you know, they, they think of me this, what if I do this, what if I say this, what if I make an idiot of myself, what if, what if, what if, rather than who is one person I can go tonight in youth group or, or wherever else and how can I bless them? And their focus is upon manifesting the love of Christ towards somebody else and that's what they're, they're fixed upon. Uh, where sinful fear is highly suspicious, love believes all things. Where sinful fear says, I won't try, love acts obediently. Where sinful fear might fail, love reaches out even if it fails. And so one final passage to meditate upon for those that may be struggling with sinful fear, anxiety. Psalm 46 is wonderful and rich because, again, it goes back to who God is. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble what's the conclusion therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way and it gives for those there basically the world is just turned upside down even if the world's turned upside down 
We're not going to fear because God is present and he is our refuge and strength. And so on this, an excellent resource by Charles Spurgeon, uh, besides Still Waters, he writes, If we can truly sing, God is my refuge and strength, then it will be impossible to be afraid. A sense of God's nearness and graciousness will be an antidote for fear. And so again, it all comes back to looking to God. Who is he? And what does it mean for me to trust him in light of whatever the situation may be? Okay, so that's how we can help others in their struggles with fear and anxiety. A couple of great resources I put there for you. All those are really good in their own ways. And so if you're looking for the booklet version, David Pallison, Worry, Pursuing a Better Path to Peace. Uh, John Vandegrift's book actually is out of print now in the arena of the mind. I would recommend that, but it's, it's, you're not going to be able to find it anymore probably unless you come to my library. And out of anxiety, I may not let you borrow it because you may not bring it back. So we'll see about that one. Uh, Wayne Mack and Joshua Mack's book, uh, they renamed it recently. It's now called Courage Excellent on the fear of man um, and, and how to fear God instead of, of man. So those are some good, helpful resources that you might consider. All right, well, let me pray for us, and it's going to be break time. Father, we come before you, and and we desire to have a a deeper uh, knowledge and understanding and right reverential fear of you. Father, I confess that oftentimes is lacking, uh, especially in the depth that it ought to be in my own life, and therefore I'm tempted to fear others or fear things. And so, Father, I pray that you grow me and grow us in a right and wholesome fear of you and also out of a godly concern for others. But, Father, as we struggle with sinful fear and sinful anxiety, Help us again to remember your word. Help us again to remember who you are. Help us to immediately turn to you in prayer. And even with thanksgiving, to to set our minds on those things that are above. And to, to trust you for the peace that only you can provide that surpasses all understanding. For you alone are the God of peace. And so, Father, uh, we pray that you would work these things in our own lives continually, increasingly. And also, Father, use us to bless others who struggle with sinful anxiety and fear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.